Hello, moving right along listeners. This is Ryan Rowe, one of your co-hosts. And before we get to this extremely special bonus episode, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Tough Pigs pal, Noah Ginnix. Noah was very, very helpful in the uh, mixing and editing of this episode. So uh, thank you, Noah. And now here's the podcast. Hello, Moving Right Along listeners. This is an extremely special bonus interview. For the first time in the history of our podcast, we're talking to somebody who actually worked on the movie that we're discussing. He was the executive vice president and creative director at Jim Henson Productions for years, and he worked on so many beloved projects and designed so many characters that it would be impossible to list them all. But his credits do include lots of work on Sesame Street, The Muppet Show, and Fraggle Rock, as well as this movie, The Muppets Take Manhattan, And he was instrumental in the development of the Muppet Babies, whose debut we just watched and who we're talking about today. Michael Frith, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. It is a delight to be here. I can't believe I'm the only person you've talked to who worked on the movie. That's that's so far. Revolution. (laughs) Of course, you know, I I guess you know there's been a certain attrition over the years. Well, yeah, that does happen. There's that too. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm still here, at least for the... Oh, no. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Well, we're very happy to have you here, and and thank you for taking the time. Um, So, yeah, we're talking Muppet Babies, so let's just kind of start at the beginning, I guess. What do you remember about how the Muppet Babies sequence in The Muppets Take Manhattan came to be? Well, can I go back a little further? Because how it came came to be actually has a little bit to do with their origins, Um, I don't know if this is something your listeners would be that interested in, but to me, probably, I'm <laughs> sure they will be. <clears throat> to me, it was kind of amusing because, um, you know, let, let the truth now finally be told. Uh, I, I we, at the time we didn't dare mention it, but um, the Muppet Babies actually began in a merchandising meeting. <laughs> ah. And they didn't begin as merchandise, as a merchandising idea. Um, my background was in children's books. I'd worked for many, many years at Dr. Seuss. That's another topic of conversation right now. Um, yes, in the news and, recently. <laughs> but Ted Geisel. And Ted and I were uh, very close. He, whatever you're hearing about Ted, he's a terrific guy. He was not a racist. He was somebody who was, you know, born in 1905 four and grew up in a period when you know things were different from what they are now and uh-huh. went from being uh, a person of that period to becoming the person of our time who became a leader and revising the way we think and see things and look at the world and one of the things that he was adamant about was that his uh, creations um, needed to be very, very carefully controlled, very carefully, however they were used, very carefully thought through. He was really against merchandising his characters. And in the few instances when he allowed anything to be done, usually when a lot of pressure was put on him, he insisted on having uh, real control over their depiction and how they were used out there and so forth. I remember once out there, he lived out in La Jolla, and I used to spend uh, uh, quite a bit, a fair amount of time traveling back and forth out there, out, out to his place. And 
working with him on any number of different projects that were sure. And I remember once sitting there in his uh, little studio library area and a couple of boxes came in from one of the big toy companies. He had, he had after really having his arm twisted, agreed to have uh, a, a few items uh, uh, done in, in that arena. And um, he, he was really excited about it. They'd made all kinds of promises to him about how wonderful these things would be and so forth. And I still remember the unboxing <laughs> when he ripped open the boxes with this smile, this grin of anticipation on his face and, and, and the thing opened and he reached and he pulled out whatever the first thing was and his face just went, wham. And he looked at this stuff and he reached in and he picked up everything that was in the box. And I think the box itself and he stormed out of the room and he was on this mountaintop out there in La Jolla and just outside of the house, there was a, a small swimming pool and he went right to the pool and threw the whole damn thing in. Wow. Whoa. Because he felt that what he stood for, what he believed in, what he wanted to put out there, had what he had insisted on, what he had been told, he was going to get it and violated. And he was really upset by it. This made a huge impression on me as a kid. Huh. And um, sure. when I came to work at Muppets, um, I brought that feeling with me. And the Muppet Show, as you know, was a huge hit. Yeah. So we had everybody in the world, every toy company, every clothing company, every, you name it, banging on the door. And this was still in the relatively early days of that kind of mass merchandising. There were very few of those kinds of licensed properties out there. Snoopy was big. Mm. Sesame Street, of course, had... Uh, started small and grown into something large. And I was hugely involved in keeping control over that and trying to, you know, uh, make sure that the, the, whatever was done was true to the characters and that whatever was done uh, would somehow be something more than just sticking, you know, Grover's face on something. <laughs> right. Saying, well, here's your uh, Grover wastebasket. You know, <laughs> and um, we really, really took this very, very seriously and spent more time uh, killing products and projects than we did, mm. um, you know, going out and, and uh, trying to, you know, and we, these companies now have licensing departments that go out there and bang on the doors of the toy companies saying, please, please license me. We were in the opposite situation where they were coming to us and we were saying, uh-uh, we don't want to go there. That isn't true to our characters. And Do you remember the, some of the ones that were rejected or some of the ones that well, were not? Uh, there, were, there were so many, Ryan, I spent <laughs> saying no to this and no to that. You know, people would come in with, I remember some guy, because it was global, the, the Muppet Show. I remember right. some guy coming in from some T-shirt manufacturer in, in, in England. Saying, well, I can have a 100 dozen T-shirt on to market by Tuesday, you know. And, and I went... What if we don't want one? <laughs> we didn't. We really didn't. Yeah. My instructions to all the people in my department, because um, I was overseeing all this stuff, was that whatever we did, we had to look at it as a production. If you were going to be doing a toy, it had to not just reflect who the character was and be true to that character, but there had to be something about it that was special and that was the message of the Muppets in terms of 
creativity in terms mm. of whatever you got out of it uh, intellectually, whatever you know would uh, <clears throat> appeal to your curiosity. And you know, that we really wanted these things to be in the same way that when you did a movie, it was about the characters. When you did a toy, it was about the characters. It wasn't simply saying, okay, here's something with your favorite character on it. Buy it. You know? Yeah, no, that's great. Really opposed to that. And so I would be sitting in these meetings with the toy companies. They're great people, most of them, who were doing their job and came with very sincere ideas about you know how they might be able to bring what they did so well to what we were doing, I think, very well. And unfortunately, very often the two did not meet in the middle. And one of the places where uh, I really had a problem was in the way they uh, saw the pig. And they uh -huh. saw the pig as this huge star. She was a mega star. And, and it, it's hard now to imagine what it was like. Right, just thinking about the time when she had like calendars and she was on magazine covers. and was, Those were all mine, darling. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> right, right. I did all those calendars. And in fact, that's another whole story of the calendars and how they came to be and my internal workings in, within Muppets to get those calendars to happen. And, and how I truly do think, and I say this with all modesty, um, they change the way we thought the Muppets themselves, we, Jim, Frank, all of us, thought about who the pig was and who she could be. She really grew. She had a life in all of these different media. And right. her life on the hands of Frank Oz was something extraordinary. And it was a living thing that came into everybody's homes and hearts. And it was amazing. And I don't think there will ever be anything like that quite like that. Again. No, it's hard to top something like that. And at the same time, she had a life in print and in these other areas so that when we did the Piggy's Guide to Life and we did the Piggy calendars and we did, you know, the uh, posters and art masterpieces and things like that, this brought out a whole other dimension of who this character was. When I did that first calendar, it, it really, I stood there in the room and literally watched Jim's and Frank's eyes open. Because <laughs> Jim was saying, oh, no, you know, she's got to be like Minnie Mouse. I'm quoting. She's <laughs> always got to be the same. You know, you always want the same costume and you want the good. So when they see her, they'll always know who she is. Hmm. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. How about this? <laughs> and I got her reclining on a heart-shaped bed. With a, you know, yeah, she's very glamorous in those calendars. And the art deco, this and so on and so on. And I watched the two of them going, oh, I don't think that was the word they used. So, you know, we were all working in tandem on who this person, and you really thought of her as a, I mean, I thought of her as a person. Oh, yeah, she's a very real character. And, and who she was and what she represented and how she was growing before our very eyes into something that none of us, I think, had ever even begun to anticipate. So when the toy companies would come back to us and say, um, okay, well, we got this great idea of doing this whatever toy, whatever book, whatever project with, you know, Miss Piggy, and they'd show us this stuff, and I'd just go, oh, 
No, that's not who she is. It's uh. not right. And it's not right for two reasons. First of all, it isn't right for the piggy that we know. She would never be in this situation. She would never behave this way. This is not something she would ever endorse. And it's not right for the audience that they are designing this for. <clears throat> because with the toy companies and, and children's books and you know, things like that, um, the pig is a very sophisticated character. And you cannot take that character and just plonk her into this whole other world and say to children, this is right <laughs> for you and for her. And particularly for me, coming from a background of children's books, it was this stuff just graded. It was just wrong. Uh -huh. I remember now, back to your original question, who am I going on a bit? <laughs> no, we love all of this. <laughs> yeah, please continue. So we were having this um, uh, uh, off-line, uh, whatever it was called then, uh, meeting with a toy company. I'm pretty sure it was Fisher Price. And they're terrific people. They're very good quality stuff. And we were doing it in a uh, hotel meeting room uh, in a place uh, a couple of blocks away from our office. You know, nobody would disturb us and so on. And we're all sitting there and these guys were doing their pitch. And they're saying, well, we want to do this, we want to do that and so on. And I'm just sitting there going, yeah, we can't do No, that's wrong. And I'm feeling awful about this because mm. we're good people who want to do the right thing. And as I'm saying, no, no, no. Doodling, which I can't, can't help doing. And I look down at my pad and I'm thinking about the pig and I'm thinking about the context that we're trying to put her into. And I realize that I have drawn her as a little pig. Oh, wow. And I glance over to my left and Jim Mayon, who is one of our wonderful guy, talented not just an art director, a very talented artist, sculptor, great guy. Um, I look over at his pad, he's doodling the same thing. <laughs> Holy cow, there's something, there's something going on here. There's something bigger than this moment that's happening. Clearly, so it's something like on a cosmic level. Yeah, well, I mean, you, it, things seem to happen to me in hotel meeting rooms. Huh. Michael Rock happened to me in a hotel meeting room. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Muppet Babies happened in a, in a hotel meeting room. Huh. And, uh, I, I took this little drawing that I'd done, and I went, well, got back to the office. And I'm not sure if Jim was there right then and there, because he was you know, absentee landlord a lot of the time off and so forth. But it was uh, probably doing pre-production on, uh, on uh, Office Take Manhattan, so he would have been around. Sure. And I remember seeing Jim, and I said, Jim, I've got to show you something, and I showed him this piggy as a little kid. And um, he loved it. And he said, oh, this is, we, we, I said, this is something we've got to do. We've got to reinvent these characters as little wow. kids. Because suddenly we can talk to children through other children through the Muppets right. and say things that we could never say, you know, hmm. as the adult characters that they as otherwise. And Jim got the right away and this is great. And we used to have these regular uh, 
management meetings and uh, product meetings and everything. Oh God, meetings, meetings, meetings. And um, so in, I guess it was the next one of whichever one of those meetings it was, I said, you know, well, what's happening with this thing? And Jim was like, well, well I'm getting some pushback. <laughs> I could never quite get the story straight. Okay. Forgive me, Frank, if I'm being unfair. <laughs> but what I kind of got was that Frank, particularly, and maybe Jojo, but I think Frank, just really couldn't stand it, didn't hate the idea. Oh, really? We, we, you know, we spent so much time. I mean, I'm not quoting Frank here, it was just the kind of general ethos was. We spent so much time re-establishing the Muppets as adult entertainment. Right, that was the whole uh, goal of the Muppet Show coming after Sesame Street. Um, Sesame Street had kind of taken it into a children's world. Wonderful, we love Sesame Street. We love everything that's happening there. Right. The Muppets originally and initially its track was as adult entertainment. As Frank said, you know, we do we do all family entertainment. Two kinds would be all family adult, which is puppet show, we do all family kids, assessment street, but it's all family entertainment. And it has this bit of an edge. We're able to go and do all the stuff that you can't do for kids and so on. And I think there was a feeling, particularly in the old, old guy, that doing something <laughs> would pull us back into that children's world that we had emerged from with control and with the movies. So there was this real thing that Jim was like, oh, okay, you know, I'd like to do this, but you know, I really, I really, really can't do it. It's, it's a real problem. Blah, blah, blah. So, but I was insistent and in <laughs> every one of those meetings that came up <laughs> I would pitch it again because I just felt like this was it was just right and yeah. had to be. So this wasn't even with an idea of this is something that should go in the next movie. It was just, this is something the Muppets should do. The next step in this saga is <clears throat> we're in pre-production on, um, on uh, Muppets Take Manhattan. And Jim had given the movie to Frank to direct. And this is great. I mean, Frank was a brilliant director. Uh -huh. and, uh, but Jim had reserved for himself. He said, okay, you can, I want you to direct it. But, you know, I'd like to do two pieces myself. I'd like to just do two little sneak pieces myself. Right? I said, yeah, sure, great. Love it. Wonderful. You're brilliant at this stuff. Right? Yeah, of course. And Jim says, yeah, I'd like to do this this scene here where, um, <clears throat> you know, we're in the, in the uh, restaurant and the, the, the greasy spoon and all the rats and the cooking and all that. Really, I'd love to do that. That'd be really fun. And right, love, yeah. You know, I'd love to do a scene. Little Muppets are all babies. Ah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's when they first meet each other and they first get to know each other. And I don't know, we get to see them in those first years. I wish I'd been there when Jim said, because <laughs> who's going to say no, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at that point, you can't. After pushing and pitching this thing for I don't know how long, it's got to have been a year or more. Suddenly, it's going to happen. Huh. And it was thrilling. It was thrilling for me because I love those characters and I've done drawings of most of them, I think. Also, so, 
So you had been already sketching the other characters, not just Piggy. Like oh, you sure. had, you oh, had. Oh, sure. So, and, so and, did and Jim Mahon, who was the other guy who was with me in that meeting, and I, he was, you know, one of my top art directors, and I asked Jim to begin keeping office as well. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, that Jim was my main liaison with the shop during the world. And uh, we'll have to talk to some of the shop people. And but what was wonderful to me during that period was that the shop just came to life. Uh, they hmm. just, they were thrilled. They loved this so much. And each one of the builders, and I'm not kidding, really came to feel that each of these babies was her or his baby. Uh, <laughs> really? I mean, they fell in love wow. with those characters. I don't even want to call them puppets. They fell in love with them. And I think when you see the puppets, you can see the love that went into the build of them. They were just gorgeous, gorgeous puppets. Adorable, wonderful, beautifully real-life characters. And for me, just a thrill. Every time I go to the shop and I see them Along, I see how the world is going. It was, it was a joy for me and just reaffirmed what a goddamn lucky person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so there they were. The puppets were built, and um, Jim was going to direct, and, uh, and Jeff Moss wrote this wonderful song. Uh, this yeah. What a genius he was. How we miss him. And I put that design that great set and, and and it all happened. End of my story. Sure. Well, did did you decide or who who decided exactly which characters were going to be babies? was that you or were, was it a team effort? That's a very good question. I think it was largely me. I mean, I think I was looking at the core characters. I can't imagine there wasn't some discussion back and forth, but I don't remember it. Because the the one that I always wonder about is, of course, Animal, who's on the cartoon, but he's yeah. not in the movie. Yeah, well, we had Animal in the cartoon and, and Skeeter. Right, and oh, sure. And, and Animal, uh, we, I reinvented for the cartoon. Um, but it felt to me like that was just a continuation of where we had been. Uh, sure. Yeah, well, actually, I was going to mention it. So I have this uh, Marvel Comics adaptation of the movie, and actually Animal is a baby in the comic, even though he's not in the movie. Yeah. Okay. So did you, do you remember if you designed him at that point? Or I remember how that... Uh, it might have been creative liberty on the, on the Marvel people's part. Also, of course, Marvel did the animation. Um, I, had we been in talks with Marvel about the animation by the time that adaptation came out oh yeah i guess he would have yeah uh, they would have been going from what it was skeeter in there no skeeter was there. No, no yeah skeeter is not in the comic no but you know they would be going from the stuff that we had given the model working on for the show right yeah so you must have decided that there was going to be a cartoon pretty early into the process because it was only like the movie came out in July 1984, and then the TV show premiered in September. So there well, must have been some fast work on the cartoon. The movie came out, and it 
within about a nanosecond, CBS was on the phone <laughs> to us saying, we want to we want to do adapt this as if we want to do a Saturday morning show around this. And uh, yeah, it, it, it had to have been moving very, very fast in order to <laughs> have that happen. I'm not even, yeah, we must have gotten something so do you know did, did the ser- did the idea for the series originate at CBS and they came to Henson not vice versa? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I mean I mean do I know whether or not Bernie Brillstein went to CBS with what we had been doing for the movie and said, you know, <laughs> you're going to want to get in on this. I cannot answer that question. <laughs> okay. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. But it really it, the way it felt at the time was because everything was moving so fast. I mean, everything we were doing was moving so fast. I, you know, our wonderful Karen Falk, uh, who, you know, is in charge of the Henson Archives, will follow me about you know, some question about what was going on when I said, Karen, I don't know. <laughs> By Wednesday, we were in a completely different world. I just... <laughs> sure. Right. It makes sense. Well, and, and you were working on Fraggle Rock, what, probably season two or three at the same time? At the same time what was happening and, and <laughs> I was you know deep in all the Sesame Street stuff at that time and uh, both the, you know some of the on-air stuff but all of the all of the collateral stuff uh and that, 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 that of the Buffett show and I mean it was just madness everything was just one thing piled on top I think it was, they were 20-hour days you know <laughs> sure. oh, it, yeah, it must I'm, have been yeah not surprised yeah. so and, and amazing I mean Somebody was asking me the other day about uh, what it was, what it was like. And I said, you know, well, one of the things I look back on and uh, it just kind of astonishes me is here I was. <clears throat> basically, I was a children's book editor, writer, <laughs> designer, whatever. And I ended up <clears throat> in a place where over the course of whatever, however many years it was, I probably got the design just about anything you can imagine that, and, and, and these things all became real. So I've got to design anything and everything you can imagine, except maybe a car. And then I thought about it. <laughs> <clears throat> Does Gonzo's plumbing truck count as a car? <laughs> uh, I would think so. Yeah. Sure. We'll allow it. Yeah. Okay. Then I got to design everything, you know, <laughs> staggering, you know, buildings and, and pots and pans and <laughs> yeah no it's it's, it's a, a, Whoa. A, a very impressive body of work Whoa, i don't know about that but it sure kept me busy and it was <laughs> it was amazing because it, it was and again one of the things that was astonishing about it was within our organization it was a place where i could almost never remember anybody saying no Hmm. There was so much to do. I mean, I got to say no a lot to right. add us with stuff. But with the stuff that we were trying to do, it was, yeah, we can do that. Oh, let's try that. It was, oh, let's go there. <clears throat> it, it, I've had to work since with some people whose uh, whole way of working and whose whole philosophy is so different that it was really a shock to me. But yeah. I remember reading a line and New York Times book review. It's some self-help book. I don't read self-help books and I don't read about self-help books. <laughs> One leapt out of the page at me. 
is the woman who wrote um, Eat, Love, Pray. It's the book. And hmm. there was a line quoting her where she said, um, one must live a life that driven by curiosity rather than fear. Huh. That to me is just such a, that's just an encapsulation of where we were and what we were doing and what we were trying to accomplish for all those years. It was always about what, what can we do? How can we make this happen? What is the new and exciting and different and impossible thing that we can try for rather than, oh my God, we better not go there. That might be a problem. Yeah. That latter way of thinking, oh God, have I since and boy, has it astonished me what it happened because I was so fortunate first in all my years working with Phil Basil and then in all my years working with Muppets but that just never entered the world, the worlds that Yeah. Yeah, I definitely get the sense that it was more about creativity than than commerce or anything else in the old days. Yes, and, and it was just amazing how the good fortune followed that. But the good fortune, you know, it was like, yeah, if we do this right and we do it well, well, maybe we'll be fortunate. Yeah, that's a, that's a good attitude. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about, we have a draft of the screenplay for the movie that I think it's the second draft by Frank Oz. It has a completely different fantasy sequence uh, for the, the piggy uh, carriage ride scene i have no idea <laughs> oh yeah i was gonna ask if you remembered it it's piggy and kermit getting married and piggy having babies if i were in my studio in new york i could probably go into the closet there and find those same drafts and the old stacks of uh oh let's see uh our crystal draft of four about <laughs> wow in amongst that stuff but um well, i haven't looked at any of those things or, the great thing about talking to you guys and so many people who are so involved in this method is you're so much more current with it than I am. <laughs> <laughs> when I was doing this stuff, you hadn't been born yet. so yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, and I know, like, I, can't, I don't remember what I did at work last week. So well, I, mean, I, under, I, I certainly understand, you know, that you're not sitting around thinking about jobs from years ago, you know. Well, I, mean, I, I remember back when with Rick Thomas and you know, a lot of, uh, oh my God, how did we do that? And oh, why did we do that? <laughs> sure. Well, and, and, and speaking of which, actually, one of the things we wanted to ask about was um, the Land of Gorch segments on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, you worked on those. You designed those characters, correct? Yeah. How, how did, like, can you talk a little bit about that experience? Was that, was that an interesting experience? Did you wish it had lasted longer or? I think that happened before I joined Muppets. I'm pretty sure it was just on the cusp. I was still at Random House, still working with Seuss. <clears throat> and um, Jim had been after me for years. And I'd, uh, I'd illustrated a couple of the big books. And I, I was the editor for the Sesame Street books. I kind of invented the, you know, the program. And... Um, so you know, I thought it would be fun to illustrate some of this stuff, and maybe I couldn't find anybody else in short notice. That's usually mm-hmm. what happened. So I'd illustrated some of the stuff that we did with Sesame Street, and I guess it, uh, 
fortune in his eye. And so he was after me for, I don't know, a couple of years, maybe more, to come and work at Muppets. And he was very, very insistent. And I really loved the world of kids' books. I loved working with Tim Basil and so on. But um, Jim just kept after me and after me. And, and I got to thinking, well, with the books, we can reach, you know, a few hundred thousand kids with television. We can reach a really extreme audience. And that was really the thing that make the jump over the television. But along the way, Jim kept asking me to design this, design that, and so on. Um, well, this is really good. Cool. That's how he sucked me in, actually, quite frankly. He asked me to design something, and then he'd say, Oh, you got to come up to the shop and see how this is coming. And I'd go, <laughs> oh my God, my drawing is now talking to me. <laughs> wow, yeah. And yeah, I was pretty seductive. So, um, one of the things that he came to me and asked me to uh, come up with were these new characters for this new series, uh, Saturday Night Live. And, um, you know, we were very tight with them in that. Ernie Goldstein was both our agent and the agent for many, if not all, of the, of the players, uh, not ready for prime time players. Like say, oh. Right. So it was natural for the Muppets to be part of that mix. But Jim wanted something that was very different from what he had been designed. I think one of the reasons I'm convinced that he was so intent on bringing me into the fold was that um, I had a style of drawing that was very compatible with the Muppets style. It was my own style, um, but that was quite different from his and Don Slade's. So when I moved into that arena, I was bringing a sensibility that both fit with and was different from what had been going on up to that time. So when this uh, kind of live stuff came out, Jim, uh, sitting in his office, he's going, well, you know, well, there's something really different. I've got really, stories were told too many times. <laughs> I'm really interested in taxidermy eyes. You know, we've always done these cartoony eyes. Right. Uh, but the taxidermy eyes are really, really kind of alive in a different way. And, and like the some characters and use those and you know, get away from these simple kind of geometric shapes and, uh, you know, do something that's kind of, sort of ever, mossy looking. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely is, yeah. Oh, that's kind of a fun little brief. Let's, let's <laughs> so I, I used to literally do these things on the subway on my way into work. I had a lot to do when I was in my real job. Hmm. You know, some of these, these little things. I uh, sent a bunch on up to Jim. And, um, they built them, <laughs> and they were really they were wonderful puppets. But um, it was interesting. Michael O'Donoghue was a great friend of mine, and he was I think he was head writer at that time. He was certainly deeply involved in And um, Michael was brilliant, one of the most brilliant comic minds I've ever known. Uh, I think two of the great comic minds I've ever known. Michael O'Donoghue and Henry Beard, and fortunately, uh -huh. we worked with Henry on some of our local projects. 
Michael, on the other hand, hated, hated the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> he just man, I was, yeah, washcloths. I was, hey, and I can't do the O'Donoghue accent. It was somewhere up here in, <laughs> in upstate New York. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Ah, Fred, you still working for that Muppet? <laughs> he just hated it. Because he thought they were you know, kidsy things. He never could quite wrap his head around the, the brilliance of things. Yeah. What a person can't do or do them in really. And I'm not just talking about dirty puppet stuff, which everybody loves to do. I'm talking about really smart, really clever, really incisive performance that puppets can. Sure. No other medium can even do that. But that attitude towards the Muppets quickly spread through Saturday Night Live. Right. So I remember once Belushi just, ugh, I mean, his disdain, he was we're not supposed to speak ill of the part of the film. This was a man who could be quite not nice, and he was really not nice to uh, <laughs> us and our work and what we were trying to accomplish there. Um, one person who really got it was Chevy Chase. Huh. Was that right? He, he really, I was coming over to our shop and we chatted a bit. I really felt like this is somebody who understood what was going on and how it could work. And in fact, I was delighted to see on one of the episodes of um, what was his last series of uh, Community. Community. Thank you. Oh yeah. Where they did a, a, a show with puppets as all the characters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was done wonderfully. I've always wanted to find out who actually built those puppets and send them a note of congratulations doing that because I've done so many caricature puppets and it ain't easy to keep it that simple and still absolutely get the essence. Right. So people can still tell who it is. It's a bit of an art. Yeah. But I think that the upshot of it was that, um, you know, those Borch characters never really got their due on Saturday Night Live because the, the core group there just really was not interested in making it work. And I think it was very fortunate for all of us that as that was kind of playing out, the Muppet Show happened. And right. Tapped on the shoulder, come on over, do the most popular television. Yeah, yeah, it was better for everybody. And, um, and uh, you know, the famous telegram that somebody sent back to the SNL people about uh, wish you were here having fun signed the mucking puppets. You know? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, and I, I've always assumed that Gilda Radner must have enjoyed, just because she was on the Muppet Show, yeah, I would have guessed that she was another one who, who probably enjoyed it when they were there. A lot of great people there, and we really loved and admired so much of the work that was done. And outside of that peculiar uh, friction, whatever you want. <laughs> um, no, the early years of Saturday Night Live were absolutely brilliant. It was wonderful work was done. 
uh, that piece where Scrab does uh, I Got You, Babe, with Little Problem. Yeah, that's great. It's a brilliant, brilliant piece, you know. And if they had thought to do more of that kind of thing, uh, who knows? You know, well, none, but, you know, hey. And that's anyway, it couldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and that's also a sketch that feels an awful lot like the Muppet Show. Yeah. You know, it's it's very easy to imagine her singing that with Floyd or something. You mm-hmm. know. But, you know Scred, what, what Jerry broke to Scred was just just wonderful. I, I, you know, I <clears throat> I always said that Jerry Nelson, um, anytime I had a project where I could involve Jerry, I would drag him in. Uh-huh. He's somebody who could sit down at a cold read at a table read and just pick up a script never having seen it before and never never read a word wrong oh wow yeah <laughs> uh, knew it he aced it every time it was absolutely brilliant performance yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. um getting back to muppet babies how how closely involved were you actually in the cartoon i was overseeing it for eight years okay so you were pretty much there for the whole production I was I was I was the Muppet person in charge of Muppet Babies. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I was uh, you know every script, every storyboard, every character, every everything. I was vetting uh, and uh, consulting, and uh, sometimes rewriting, and always redesigning, and uh, working hand in glove with Hex Ryan and Bob Richardson, and great team at Marvel, uh, Jeff uh, Scott. Wonderful, wonderful writer. Uh, yeah, I mean, we had, a, we had a great, great team on that show. Yeah, it definitely feels like a, a better than average Saturday morning right. show. And one of the things that was the most fun about that was in our first meetings with Marvel out there. <clears throat> I mean, all, all we could hear was um, complain, complain, complain about how expensive animation was. Because mm. it was all cell animation. Mm-hmm. In spite of the fact that it was being done, it was still very pricey. And um, so, oh, God, I've been such an earful of that. And I had been working on a project that breaks my heart. We never were able to bring to fruition. Called WILD, which was to have been a kind of the shorthand, which really doesn't do it justice, but the shorthand was a I suppose Sesame Street for the environment to oh. way, way back when maybe the generation who would have grown up on it might have made a difference in how we Yeah, you know, might have made some better decisions. We ran up against uh, some internal problems there and the show never saw the light of day. But among the things that I discovered in developing this uh, idea was that um, I found a company that basically was a film library. They had, God knows what, everything in the world, but they were particularly strong in the nature area. And so my idea, one of my ideas for the LLD was that we would be Couple of things, but intersperse it with found footage of real nature events, pictures and characters, right? Little weave all this stuff together, and it was the, the footage was very cheap. Huh. So 
<clears throat> when this thing came up with, with the babies, they were complaining about the expensive animation and why uh, push about the babies was that it was to be about the world of the imagination and about creative problem solving. Right. And um, there was a real hidden uh, curriculum in that. It, was, it really was about teaching kids about independent thinking. Um, there was a great quote from uh, Never heard whether it was uh, Duke Ellington or Count Basie, one of those great exemplars of the American uh, aristocracy. And, uh, and he said, um, somebody asked me about the secret of his success. And he said, My mother always said that there are eight ways of doing anything right. <clears throat> what you have to do is choose one. Hmm. And I Absolutely. Again, that was one of those lines that just so resonated with me. And I went, boy, do I believe that. And in my position, what I was doing, I would generally have to be the guy and say, okay, there are eight ways of doing this right. Let's do it this way. Hmm. I said, have to be one way. Sometimes it was, but <laughs> you would choose out of you know, all these wonderful possibilities. And looking at the Muppet Babies, I think we had eight babies, something like that. I have to go back and tell you. Um, okay, each of them would have a way of approaching whatever problem was needed to be sorted through that Saturday morning in the nursery. And you would go with Gonzo's idea, or you would go with uh, Skeeter's idea, or you would go with Phoebe's idea, and so on. So each of them would approach whatever the problem was that needed to solve or his own particular idea with his or her own genius. To do that, I thought, here we got this potential of these libraries of existing footage that cost almost nothing. So let's do a flip. Instead of going into the world of imagination in animation, let's take the world of animation and go into imagination in reality. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's That's great. funny. I mean, it was absolutely, um, you know, turned the world on its head. And, and I remember the, the, the morning the, the first day, a friend of mine called me up and said, just saw your new show. Oh, yeah, what did you think? He said, man, what were you guys on? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people always go there whenever somebody comes up with a really creative new idea. <laughs> but it was wild. Nothing like that had ever Yeah, no, I don't. It, yeah. And, you know, it made Marvel happy because they saved a, you know, what, however many minutes, you know, that piece right, of Right, sure. Oh, yeah. They didn't have to animate it. Everybody loved it for all those reasons. And I loved it just because it was so quirky and strange. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, there was nothing like it. Well, and, and because you assumed that the kids who were watching were identifying with the babies in animation, when you went into the real footage, it took them into their own real world as they would imagine it if they were on a flight of fancy. So it just was a win, 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 win. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Although I don't know if this is true with the conventional wisdom among fans is that maybe one of the reasons that it hasn't gotten a commercial release is because of some of that licensed footage that might be too expensive now. Yeah, I think that's very possible. I don't know. I, I haven't been party to whatever the uh, uh, legal niceties might have been. Right. Uh, 
Thanks for all of you. Oh, who was it? I can't remember. I have to bring up the name of the person, or a couple out there in LA who were mm. um, tasked with finding the footage for each of these shows, and they just did a brilliant, brilliant job. Of, uh, yeah. Each time. And um, Hank used his contacts to get things like the you know, Star Wars clip. Right. Sure, yeah. Those might have been, you know, proved a problem later on. But yeah, well, presumably nobody was anticipating that Disney Plus was going to exist in 30 years. Oh. <laughs> One mouse to rule the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you seen the new Muppet Babies series, the current cartoon? I was afraid you'd ask me that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We, uh, we can take no comment. I mean, if, if that's what you... That's prefer. fine, too, yes. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, it is... Look, we're gonna do it. Let's put it that way. Sure. I have very mixed feelings about CG animation. We really pioneered it, believe it or not. Um, I was mm-hmm. very involved in the early um, experiments in that area. And we worked with a company called Digital Productions to, I think, be one of the very first pieces of uh, computer-animated uh, character design ever well the actually i mean if you'd rather talk about this the jim henson hour was something else we wanted to ask you about yeah for sure so i mean if, if you want to <laughs> anthony talk about and i are we, both big fans we, of the jim henson hour we, we ryan and i are both we've probably seen the jim henson hour more than anyone else um i'm sure of that <laughs> but i mean if you want if you want to talk about like waldo for example yeah. you know we'd love to hear whatever your thoughts are yeah the uh you know, I, I think that computer-generated animation can, the, the potential is extraordinary. There has been, as we know, tonnage, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether you count what's happening in superhero movies as animation or just special effects, or whether you, can, you know, look at what's happening on Saturday morning or, or what's happening in the, when there used to be movie theaters. And I, my feeling is that like any medium, if it's used brilliantly, it's brilliant. If it isn't, it, it, it's, it's uh, unfortunate. And um, uh, I, I love the babies and I saw some of the early programs and my feeling was I hope that it evolves. Um, I've seen one or two of the more recent ones, and I hope for the day of all. <laughs> okay. All right. Sure. Fair <laughs> Thank enough. Thank you. Thank you. I love those characters. I can't. <laughs> yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it, they're, they're your babies, right? Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, did you uh, work on the, the music video uh, for I'm Gonna Always Love You? I, you know, I, my, I have only sketchy recollections of that. I, I, yes, I think my vague memory is there were a lot, there was a lot of input there. I think we had some idea sessions on that. I vaguely remember maybe doing some storyboarding on the, uh, there's a flash dance sequence in there, right? Yeah, the water splashes on Piggy. Yeah, we're doing the whole hair thing from flash dance. And, you know, the wet hair thing, which I, I seem to remember doing some things on that. Um, a lot of it was um, 
you know, very specifically, purposefully doing parodies of what were the hot music videos at the time. Right. It's very 80s MTV. Right. Billy Jean is in there, right? The, the light up sidewalk. The one, sorry? The light up sidewalk from Billy Jean is in there. There's a thing with the candles where she knocks over all. Oh, the- right. Uh, totally Clips of the Heart, I think. I don't remember, what, but that was a very specific reference to, I don't know, some Joe Collins or something. <laughs> um, I'd have to look at it again, and I would need somebody at my elbow with an encyclopedic memory of what all those <laughs> videos are. Sure. Because there was reference after reference after reference, and they were very, very purposeful. And one of the things, of course, <clears throat> that was kind of the overarching thing was to go into that kind of world of surreality that a lot of those videos were doing at that time, which is why I think a live pig comes in. Yeah. Yeah. And a frog, pig and frog, both. Yeah. A live frog with a Kermit collar. And uh, yep. and a pig with pearls on, I believe. Yeah. A pig, if I remember right. And then at the end, Jim with the uh, feet. Um, and it was all supposed to be this kind of trippy up. Uh, Oh man, did you see that? (laughs) (laughs) And I think it was very, my recollection is it was very funny at the time. Oh, yeah, it's it's very funny. Very, it's a great video. Yeah, a great spoof of MTV at the time. Who would have been watching it then would have been going, oh my God, they just did Devo or they just did whoever it was. Right, right. Well, and there's even like the shot, I think at the beginning is like a reference to 2001 with like a, a piggy floating in a, a sphere above the earth. Could be, or that might've been something even more current. And maybe, I mean, maybe that was another video. And some of it would have been taking advantage of the really high tech, uh, you know, uh, special effects available in that moment. And I think there was something there with, you know, the sphere that, falls apart or comes together or something that was like somebody going hey have you seen this cool new effect you know it's a real cutting edge right there right now it's just great <laughs> well it's a lot of fun to watch good, good. um so the cartoon lasted for seven seasons which seems like a really long time for a saturday morning show in those days do you remember if it was it the, the network like did it get canceled was it a decision to end it Oof. That's the sort of thing I should remember graphically. But, <laughs> um, I think there was just a feeling, I think it was really eight seasons. I think maybe seven became two seasons of split or something. And, you know, we were running um, two back to back every Saturday. Right. Uh-huh. I remember that. Yeah. I remember we, watching them. It was a kind of a bit of a tragedy. I was. Uh, doing a, a second series called One of Muppet Monsters. Right. That was, you know, just, that was really tough to get born. <laughs> huh. had a huge, a lot of promises, a lot of, a lot of fun stuff in there. <clears throat> and um, one of the problems, there were a couple of problems with it. One of them was that, and I won't go into some of the things on our end, um, which I think were really coming together very nicely, but on the animation end, what happened was, I think after the third show aired, the animation pipeline had somehow gotten clogged and they were behind in getting the animated bits for that show, the next show. 
together and assembled in time to air. Uh-huh. How yeah. they did was they aired just to fill the space. They aired two puppet babies back to back, and it blew the ratings out of the way. Uh. Oh, okay. Well, um, we're having problems over here. Let's stick with over there. And yeah. We ended up doing two babies a week rather than babies and monsters, which was too bad because puppet monsters could have been something really special, but uh, they never got a chance. Yeah, it's a really fun idea to to mix the the Muppet, the, the new Muppet characters with the animated stuff mm-hmm. of the old characters. There's, there's, there were a lot of really cute things that were just beginning to take shape in that. And I've always said, you know, any series that I put them up a show that, you got to give it at least three before you begin to pass judgment. Yeah, sure. And even then, you know, a few more. But, uh, and I find now when we're sitting here in our COVID uh, sequestration and, you know, trying to find our way around Netflix and we go, oh, how about this one? Well, that wasn't so good. Okay, well, let's give it three. Yeah, especially now that there are like hundreds of things to choose from. Too bad, but it, it kind of, uh, you know, it, its own success, I think, became uh, the, the, the way to run its neck. Um, and uh, after seven plus seasons, I think there was really a feeling that it really needed to be refreshed and or when it was time to say, okay, we've done this. Okay. Well, and then Bean Bunny did come in as a new baby character in the last season or two. And I'd actually come up with some stuff that I thought could be a lot of fun. This is going to sound almost formulaic, but I've also been developing the Muppets as a generation older, Muppet kids. And Hmm. possibilities there. Um, but you know, it just would need, it need a certain kind of traction to get the attraction. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I was working on at the time was bringing Statler and Waldorf in as a couple of young bucks <laughs> in raccoon coats. With <laughs> yeah, they they make an appearance or two on on Muppet Babies, don't they? I don't think they did in the in animation. They sure do. It's um, it's an episode where they bring over their toy train, mm-hmm. and the babies imagine that they're on train. I know this because it's one of the ones I have on VHS. And like, <laughs> my my daughter has seen it a thousand times. They call him Uncle Staller and Uncle Waldorf. Yes. <laughs> so so that did make it into the show. So you got him in there at least once. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> oh. Um. So we just I don't want to take up too much of your time here. Um. Another thing. This might be super obscure, maybe even more than this, <laughs> the script draft, but uh, there is an entry on the Jim Henson's Red Book blog that talks about a uh, promotional film that was made to sell Muppet Babies merchandise that featured licensing executives Isabel Miller and Betts Fitzgerald dressed up as English nannies pushing prams in Central Park. Do you have any memory of that? Oh, vividly, I directed it. <laughs> oh, Wow. I, I designed and directed it. No, it was, it was oh, that was so much damn fun. We, we got a bunch of baby carriages and I had them all outfitted to look like um, armored cars. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we got all of the, the people on our staff 
uh, Isabel and Betts and <clears throat> Al Gottesman and Bob Bromberg and uh, dressed them all as British nannies. And Bromberg with his mustache and a cigar in his mouth, Dick Wiedemeyer, I can't remember who else. <laughs> <laughs> and we got them all pushing these, these armored car prams to Central Park. And we did a voiceover. I, did I do the voiceover? I'm not sure. I might have. Somebody did. Um, and it was like, you know, ah, Muppet Babies. Yes, here's the licensing opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> with a cigar in his mouth, pushing this armored car. And he may have even been throwing money around. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically the whole thing was an excuse to be really silly and to really humiliate Bromberg and Gosman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we ever did anything huge with it. Uh, we, we certainly didn't go out there and, you know, pound on the doors of the, the licensees. To right. No, that's, that sounds very entertaining, though. I don't suppose you have a copy of it. It was a hoot. I'd love to have a copy of it. I wonder if... Mm. Let's try Karen. No, let's try Craig Shimon. Yeah, yeah, we'll check in with them. Yeah, he might have it. One send me one. I'd like to see it again. Sure. Yeah, no. The, the early promotion for babies was uh, it was interesting because we had to ride that fine line between uh, you know going commercial, which we were not very comfortable with, and um, promoting the show in order to raise interest in it. Mm. What we found was, again, that um, people were just so ready for this and so in love with the characters that it took very little to get the interest going out there. And I did a promotion with McDonald's. I'd never been in a McDonald's in my life. <laughs> I just, you know, it's not my thing. <laughs> but um, we did a Happy Meal promotion with them. And, um, oh, yeah. We were to, get the name, get the word out that uh, the show's on there. And that seemed like a, a good way to do it, and indeed it was. Um, and uh, boy, they they went through a design dolls. Uh, I don't remember which promotion was which. We did Muppet Baby Dolls with them, and they had ordered more than they thought they would need, and they didn't have half what it turned out to demand. Oh, wow. But my favorite part of that was when I was out of McDonald's headquarters and they oh yeah, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. And with every uh, happy meal you get uh, a uh, you know this and that and a free coke and I went, Yeah, and and what else? He said, Well, you get it. I said, You get a coke, yeah. I said, Well, you know, as a parent myself, if I were to go in there, I would want some kind of option rather than well, no, no, we uh, you know, we, we talk with a happy I'm afraid that's a problem. Well, wait, 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 what do you want? I said, well, you know, we could offer them the choice of a Coke or a glass of milk. Glass of milk? <laughs> For the rest of my life at Muppets, every time, I say every time I ran into Al Gottesman, who was our chief legal guy, he would look at me and say, and here's the guy who got McDonald's to serve milk with a Happy Meal. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure they do now. That's an yeah, option, right? Yeah. It, oh, it definitely is. Yeah. yeah. Said, That's a big deal. And he said, 
yeah, they'd like, like a billion dollar contract with Coca-Cola. You, <laughs> you don't understand what's going on there. I said, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Follow the money. Uh, yeah, but those, those toys, the Happy Meal toys where the characters can ride on each other's little vehicles. Those are, those are really cool toys. I think I, a lot of Muppet fans have those in their collections. They the dolls and they did, and the dolls, the pretty dolls. They had to hire another factory in China in order to meet the demand for the pretty dolls. Wow. And again, I always enjoy working with the creative people in any of these situations. I mean, with the toy companies, with McDonald's, you know, whatever one's feelings may be about the, the, the overarching philosophies of some of these places and so on. When you get down to working with the creative people, they're terrific. They really are. You know, hmm. I, mean, I found when I was doing design the between folks at Disney. Um, the Imagineering people, you know, you could take any of those men and women and put them in our shop, and you could take people from our shop and put them in Imagineering. Sure, they're the same people. Oh, that's cool! Creative, amazing, thrilling people. To work with. <laughs> yeah, I, we, I think we like to think that as fans, like that it's all kind of the same creative uh, type. Yeah. Um, Anthony, you think uh, anything else we want to get to? I, I think we hit all the important stuff. I mean, you know, I could I could sit here and you know, please talk about Digit for a half an hour, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to do that to you. You know, unless you really want to talk about Digit for a half an hour. <sighs> I love the wires. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> but no, just thank you so much. For yeah. Oh, well, a thrill. Being interested and in, in, you know, it's interesting when I did that drawing. This where is she? There she is. A drawing of the pig for Ryan, the other Ryan, <clears throat> and uh, I wrote to him. I uh, said, you know, I haven't uh, had a reason to draw the pig for a quarter of a century. I mm. And I said, it was really a joy to do this drawing. First, as a thank you for this support for the Oakville Theater, for the Theater Center, you know, which is a very important artistic uh, hub for so much comes out of there, so many different fronts. So, so it was lovely to be able to do this as a thank you, but it was also great to to visit with her again. Hmm. It was great yeah. to again. To remember what a what a great time we had together. I feel like Bob Hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it just sounds like the best job ever. So yeah, yeah, and uh, she was um, she was a joy to work with and. And, and you know, interestingly, one of the problems I had with Muppet Babies was that so often the writers, and I don't think Jeff Scott with this, um, got it right, but um, the other, some of the other writers, particularly interestingly, some of the little writers, would write Baby Piggy as a bat, as a mean girl. Yeah, it comes up a little bit. Yeah, and I would have to really think that. And all of you know, I, I don't know if I was always successful, but I think I was successful a lot of the time. But I'd say she isn't me. Right. She's the opposite of that. She is, <laughs> I'll once again, quote one of my favorite quotes from Frank, 
because Frank always looked very, very deeply into his characters. He really thought about them. They really believed them. Which is why I think his uh, performance of his characters has such resonance and such depth. He once said um, about Whitney, um, her mother had um, 16 piglets. Had, had, yeah, had, I'm sorry, her mother had 17 piglets and only 16 nipples. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had people respond to that by saying, oh, yeah, that's why she has such sharp elbows. And no, no, no. no that's about her insecurity. Right. Where she comes from as a person, that's where overcompensation comes from. But underneath that, there is this real vulnerability and this sense of hurt and this need to prove herself. She's smart, she's accomplished, she's a star. <clears throat> but deep down under that, there is this real, there's this delicate person who needs to get out and to be heard and to be seen. And um, there's, there's a real vulnerability that comes through in Frank's performance. Uh, which is very hard to get across to people because they think of her as, you know, Hi-ya! right. It's so easy to just make her one dimensional, but that's not who she is or who she should be. There's a lot more going on. And I really strove to bring that out in baby thinking as well. That she's a leader, that she's one of the two girls in that nursery. Mm-hmm. She really represents a female point of view. And she both the fact that she's coming from there and has to deal with all these guys. The only other, you know, the, the one female authority person there is men. And, um, you know, she's kind of overall, she's not, uh, she's not a contemporary. Right. He's <laughs> a real, to be a really interesting character. That needs to be thought of and needs to be remembered to be celebrated in, in how she's depicted on screen and how she's depicted otherwise, whether it's a comic book or a book or a toy or whatever it may be. You've got to remember that she's very real and an audience in a way that other characters can. Yeah, it seems like she's a hard character to get right, but it was. Uh... Yeah, just because there's so much, and, and hard to live up to the standards of the old days uh, when you guys were working on her. Well, we, we, we always hope. We live in hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, um, on our podcast, we ask our guests if they two questions, if they remember the first time they saw the Muppets Take Manhattan and also how they would rank it alongside the other Muppet movies. If you can answer those, I'd be curious to hear what you think. Oh, Lord, I can't tell you when I first saw it because I probably saw it in bits and pieces. Right. It makes sense, yeah. Was there was there a premiere or like a, a company premiere? There was a premiere, but boy, I don't, I can't kind of, you know, sort it from other premieres. Sure. I just really can't. Right. There should be signal moments in one's life, but no, they all kind of run together. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of moments. <laughs> Um, where would I rank it? I don't know. I love it. Um, hard to know. I mean, uh, <clears throat> the, the Muppet movie looms large because it was the first and, and it was so exciting. Of course. Uh, sure. 
uh, to see the characters up there at the big screen like that. Uh, and uh, yeah, all those all those cameos. I don't. I love them all. I love. Yeah, them. yeah. That that's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, <clears throat> I I think that um, you know some of the the, the post Jim movies. Uh, I did a lot of work on both um, Treasure Island and Christmas Carol. And I sure. They, they both uh, showed the love and they showed uh, the real thought and the real performance genius that our core um, characters, core performers, gave to those characters right through, yeah, right through it. So, yeah, great stuff. Yeah. Well, if we'll be talking about uh, Muppet Christmas Carol in about a year, <laughs> if you would be willing to come back and share some of your memories of that one. I'm still here, old man. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Well, it was a pleasure. I say I continue to be surprised that um, people care. Thank you. <laughs> oh, of course. So many people care. But uh, yeah, and thanks for all your work on all this great stuff. It was, as you may have gathered, it was a trip. <laughs>